across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? Delicious. <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour, your fortnightly slice of local food and drink news. I'm Matt Bentman, here live in the studio with Sue Bailey. It's just us today. Alan and Lucy should be back next time. So what have we got in today's programme? Well, we visit a 1930s-style Shanghai restaurant hidden far down Hills Road. We go picking fruits, herbs and spices in time for Christmas. And explore alternatives to champagne. And of course, there'll be all the usual food news. And at the end of the programme, a roundup of jobs available in local restaurants, hotels, taverns and colleges. So, let's begin. Now, with Christmas just around the corner, I caught up with Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, to discuss things we can forage in preparation for the big day, adding a special something to decorations and side dishes. So, first of all, mulled wine. That's ah. the first thing I always think about with Christmas, not just because that's the biggest part of Christmas at all, but the flavours of mulled wine tend to be what we think about of Christmas, like your cinnamons, your star anises, your cloves, all that kind of thing. They're real Christmassy spices. So how can we get those flavours using what's growing around us naturally? Lots of things that are really great. Woodhaven roots are one that I always go to as first go. They have a wonderful flavour like clove. Mm. They're quite easy to identify. You've got two leaves on the stem followed by three. You'll find them all over woodlands at the moment. They're really, really abundant. Important thing to say about them again, I drum in all the time, it's not legal to forage roots from public land. So ask the landowner's permission. Whether you want to risk it without is up to you entirely, but it's not legal to do that. <laughs> so yeah, they're wonderful. If you pull them up, you've got this lovely little root on them. They're not big at all, sort of a, a little bit smaller than dandelion roots on average, I'd say, but quite similar in look. And they've once you clean them off, clean all the soil off, that's important because soil has quite a strong flavour dehydrate them then you can grind them up into a powder and use them as if you'd use growing cloves or you can chop them up dry them up and then just use them in little pieces to infuse into things but what do the leaves of a wood avens look like because i'm thinking two leaves three leaves uh, what leaf shape yeah so you've got the little stem that comes out and you've got two little oval leaves that come on it and then the leaf at the end is in three prongs i suppose the best way that would be an obvious thing to know it's kind of like your maple leaf kind of three pronged oh. leaf at the end and yeah, another name for it is Herb Bennett or Herb Benedict, and that was said that it was the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I know Herb. Yes, Herb Bennett. That's yeah. I do know that one. Yes. Ah, right. I did not realise that was Woodhaven's. The other distinctive feature at this time of the year is their seed pods. So they're not as big as burdock ones, but they're the little ones that often stick to your dog if you're out on a walk as well. They're the really velcroy little seed hooks on the balls. Oh, so right. Quite... Sticky willies. No, not like sticky willies. They're bigger than that. So sticky <laughs> sticky willies are the really small ones that are sort of like three mil. These you're looking at sort of like probably about a centimetre in diameter, maybe slightly more larger, right. but not quite like your burdock size ones. But right. uh, if you take a if you let a dog run through the undergrowth in the woods at this time of year, you'll quite often get loads of the little seed heads stuck to their bellies and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, 
Herb Bennett or Woodhaven's, whatever you want to call it, is a great one for getting the clove flavour and things. Star anise, how do we replicate that? Well, there's wild fennel is really is the key for that. And at the moment it is in seed everywhere I'm looking. And actually, with this wet weather at the moment, it's also growing back into herb as well. So you could use either or to get that aniseedy flavour. And it's a quite near the coastline, it's really abundant, but really it is moving in a lot more now. And you find it in a lot of places, like a lot around the South Cam's villages, I find it outside lights shops and schools and just on the side of the road because it spreads like wildfire i know you have it outside yours and it's a really nice and fairly accessible plant to get hold of uh, other flavors as well alexander's the seeds are just coming to the end but if you collect them anyway there are a version of black peppercorn so they go really well in things like mulled wine rose hips as well they're one of my favorite spices pick your rose hips they're still going strong on different varieties of rose at the moment i tend to dry them all out grind them up into a powder when you're having them fresh you want to take the seeds out and that is a really laborious job but the seeds are absolutely rock hard so even when you dry the berry and blend it up it will not blend up the seeds anyway so then you can just sieve it all out it's actually the little hairs on the seeds that you don't want because itching powder we used to use at school and the little seed (laughs) hooks they once you've dried it up anyway they blend so fine it makes no difference but rose hips are a really nice flavor getting that deep berry earthy kind of rosy flavor into your mulled wine is absolutely fantastic with all of these flavors presumably you can use them in christmas biscuits and what other things oh totally yeah christmas biscuits things like panna cottas and creme brulees things where you're infusing is really good custards and things like that but yeah biscuits is a wonderful one at christmas and you can even use it as spices in your christmas puddings if you haven't made them already but they're wonderful like not be honest if you're buying things like a cheap whiskey as well infusing it, and then adding just a splash of little flat lemonade or something to counteract the cheap whiskey i'd never infuse it into a nice one but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's another good way to go with it and they're kind of like the things that we can use really in hogweed seeds as well to kind of replicate those christmas spices there's things people say like certain barks and things that can replicate cinnamon i'm still yet to find anything that i actually feel comfortable recommending as that but i think what you've got there with your rose hips your hogweed seeds your alexander seeds wild fennel seeds we're talking lots of seeds at the moment and then woodhaven roots really does work nicely that sounds really really interesting and fun to forage at the moment when it's not raining of course (laughs) there's still something quite magical about really really wet foraging it's horrible when it's got the driving wind as well but when it's just wet it's quite nice to actually just feel the elements i'll take your word for it the other thing as well as it is wet check all your herb patches at the moment things like chickweed are just shooting up everywhere as i said earlier i've noticed like wild fennel is known shoot i saw small patches of alexander's starting already the uh, hairy bittercress is another wonderful one that comes out this sort of time of year as well nettles are in full flow everything green that you'd expect to have a second flush in autumn is coming out now and it's yeah wonderful to get your salads in your fresh greens lots of nice things to do as sides as well you can chuck them in with your brussels sprouts brussels sprouts bacon chestnuts is a classic but you chuck in some dandelion leaves as well and it really works absolutely gorgeous if you're making dandelion marmalade earlier in the year glazing like your meat roast meats and stuff in that is wonderful as well so it's time to start getting things out that you made earlier in the year i know we talked earlier in the year about beech leaf noyal if you made that then it should be about ready to start having a try now so oh, yes now yes. i'm ready for christmas and that's A gift that if you made earlier in the year or you can start making next spring again ready for Christmas is absolutely wonderful. Uh, Lots of jams, all the crab apples on the floor at the moment. They're wonderful. Uh, If you don't want to make jams and things, get into the world of vinegar. Ah, tell me more. So the wonderful thing, like the crab apples, we've been making one with pears at the moment because they're in abundance still. We literally juice them 
add sugar and leave them alone. We put them in big 20-litre buckets and just leave it. I've got a peri vinegar that if you've been to any of our private pop-ups at Amphora recently, you would have seen on the menu there. And that was made about three years ago. We put it in a bucket, let it ferment into alcohol, and then just add a little bit of mother vinegar once we can smell the alcohol on it and just leave it to do its thing. So, I mean, I've been finding lots of crab apples recently. So talk me through it again. So I just pop the crab apples in a bucket. Then what do I do? Pop them in a juicer. In a juicer, right. You can then chuck the pulp in and everything like that as well. We add a good amount of sugar because that's really just the feed for it. Mm. So there's no exact amount you need to add. We just say if you've got five litres, I'd probably add... 500 grams something okay so not an enormous it doesn't need to be but you can add as much (laughs) as you like if you want it to be sweeter at the end add more if you want it to be drier add less but it just kind of gives it something to feed on and then we literally just leave it what in a dark place it it doesn't really matter i mean the ones that we've had going i have some that just sit on top of my washing machine (laughs) wherever you've got space to do it really is the key and I haven't found that light or dark make much difference. Warm or cold don't seem to make a huge amount of difference. Obviously, warmer would make things happen quicker, but it, this isn't something we're trying to rush through. This is a labour of love, but it's actually not laborious once you've juiced everything. So just let it sit there, and for how long? It all just depends. Just have a smell of it every now and again. You'll smell the alcohol starting to come onto it, and you'll see how it starts to change. When you start to smell that alcohol and you can see the bubbles starting to stop or really slow down, you can add a little bit of raw vinegar, or you can add a mother if you've got a mother going from other vinegars which is just the floating kind of the best way to describe it it's almost like a silicon little floating blob blob in the top (laughs) yeah you can scrape that off and do it i tend to not reuse the mothers too many times because i find it can make a bit of a bitter vinegar the easiest way would be you can go to any shop and it will tell you if it's raw and unpasteurized if it's unpasteurized then you can just put say a couple of hundred mil into there and that'll get that bacteria introduced we're not doing it really scientifically i mean if we're going like that the optimum alcohol level is between five and eight percent but be honest once you start to smell it and the bubbles start to stop you around about that mark anyway so you then put in your raw vinegar yes and then just what leave do you it do? Oh, okay we just leave it alone i normally tend to look for a ph around about the four mark i think that gives it a nice acidity for what i want mm-hmm. not too much not too little but it's entirely up to you you'll smell it when it's going very distinctive smell so our peri vinegar at the moment i have little jars sitting around on top of my fridge so if i then forage just a handful of like rose hips i'll just chuck it in that vinegar it's a nice way of storing that flavor and like blackberries and things like that when we just picked a couple at the end of the season when they were going but just chucking them in there to get that flavor at one stage i was thinking about doing this but then i was reading stuff and saying oh it's a bit dangerous if you put fruits or whatever into a vinegar you have to sterilize the fruits first before you put them in there is that right or not <laughs> not as far as i'm aware the acidity <laughs> of the vinegar is enough to sterilize it that's the whole point of why vinegar yeah. doesn't go mold people often err on the side of caution and that's not a bad thing to do i mean how are you going to sterilize your fruits you're going to boil them I suppose you're going to boil them, then you're destroying some of the flavour. Yeah, yeah. you could salt them or you could add acid, sterilise them as well, and that's what you're doing by putting them in vinegar. Very good point. From my point of view, I've been doing it for years and years and never seen it go mouldy. It's it's back to the magic 4.6 pH again that we talk about with fermentation. Get it lower than that and you're pretty good to go. You can get a fairly cheap pH meter and it's not... You can order them offline, they're very cheap, less than £10. Yeah, they last 
a good year, a year and a half. But once you've been doing it for a little while, you can tell when they need calibrating and when they're slightly off. And the cheaper ones will go and they're not worth messing around calibrating. You just get a new one with them. They last a good enough time. You can get papers as well and litmus papers and things That's like that. That's true, yes. So. I think, remember those from school, rather fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, another good thing that the rain has brought out is it's finally starting to show us mushrooms. I've been noticing mushrooms recently. Probably about two, three weeks ago. So just after we last talked, I started to see signs and now we're finally starting to see signs of better edibles in Cambridgeshire. The rest of the country's had a wonderful season in certain spots. Like I know a lot of people down south and a bit more west and stuff have been absolutely full of them and Cambridgeshire has just been rubbish on a whole. Doesn't mean you can't find the odd good patch, but it has been rubbish as a whole. But now we're finally getting the ground to the right thing. I don't think I like things like my head of the woods patch will fruit this year. I've been checking that. It's, mm-hmm. it's not showing any signs, unfortunately. But things like shaggy parasols, field bluets, which are an easy one to identify. You've got your their purple legs is the other name for them mm-hmm. as well, common name. So have a check-up of all these online. Funnel mushrooms, which are probably my favourite one of the year. Drooping funnel mushrooms. Trooping funnel Trooping mushrooms. Funnel yes. Mushrooms. Yeah. Geotropa is their proper Ooh. name. But they've got a wonderful kind of... It's a very distinctive smell and flavour. And I think it's got hints of anise, but more almondy and very sweet quite sickly and they work really well in puddings and things like that we use them for but in big stews and things like that brilliant so mm-hmm. we obviously have quite a lot of venison and stuff in the freezer and venison stew with tube and funnel mushrooms with a little Ooh. little dark chocolatey sauce with it as well it's where do you fantastic. find those and they are all over the woods in the south cam villages okay so they're just starting up now but you'll see and the name trooping funnel mushrooms gives you a clue to how they're going to grow because they grow in troops which means big, long lines throughout the woods. Ah. And you'll see them. You need to be careful with them because they are part of the Clytocybe family, which does have some deadlies in. Oh. Uh, they are known as a more of an advanced mushroom to learn, but I think, actually, once you know them, they're not an advanced one, really, in my eyes. They're very distinctive in size, for instance. So if you're do your research on them first, but if you're unsure, you're, all the deadly poisonous ones in that family are small. Trooping funnel mushrooms get big, so sort of side plate size and above. Oh, you're right. not really going to find. That's not to say that nature hasn't got to throw in a curveball, but that's a good way to kind of look at it as well. Bigger than a side plate. That is big. Yeah, and they'll grow massive. They'll grow up to dinner plate size. Wow. Like that. They are big. Yeah. And you'll find them in long troops. The smell is very distinctive. At the bottom of the stem, they've got a really woolly bottom to them. It's almost like there's cotton wool stuck on there. Really? Yeah, get on websites like Wild Food UK and First Nature and things like that and have a look. Familiarise yourself with them or come on one of my tours because we're going to be starting them again. I was just about to ask. I think I'd rather come on one of your tours. When (laughs) when is it going to be happening, the next one? So I'm doing a private one this weekend and then I'll be announcing on social media a few more dates for this year. So we're hopefully going to get a couple in before Christmas. The other thing we're going to try and do as well is get a pop-up announcer in January. So if anyone wants to buy friends and family Christmas presents, a ticket to one of our pop-ups would be a great way to do it. That sounds really an excellent idea because the ones at Am4 have been going very well, haven't they? They've been going so great we haven't even opened them up to the public. They've been selling out with just their regular customer base at the moment. So we are in talks about doing one in the early part of next year where we open them up and don't do them to and for us customer base we do them to the general public and we'll see what happens but we're they're going really really well there it's a lovely beautiful venue and i've been there and chong is absolutely so knowledgeable and it's really nice oh it really is yes yeah, it's, it's yeah it's a wonderful little wine shop and she really knows her th- stuff her wine pairings with my food is just considering she hasn't tasted most of it and doesn't know half the flavors is absolutely impressive so they're well worth having a look out for and coming along too yeah we'll get other pop-ups we do do gift cards as well yeah in this if you go on our website which is w 
www.authoritychef.co.uk. You can see there's links to message me about gift cards and things there where you can buy a tour for your friends for next year. Spring will be hitting it hard, so probably from late February. We'll do a few over the winter, but they're valid for a year anyway, so you've got to your dates next year. So that's another good thing for Christmas ideas. Get out there, check your herb patches, make some nice salads, because chickweed is brilliant at this time of year. One last question. I've very kindly been given some medlars and this is a medlars are really unusual fruit and sometimes people have no idea what they are they walk past them there are not many of them around it's a, a very weird fruit isn't it it's often called dog's ass is that correct <laughs> yes it is <laughs> why well you've got this lovely kind of star-shaped bottom to the fruit mm-hmm. which almost looks like it's about to turn in and yeah i'll leave the rest up to your imagination on why they call it that <laughs> but yeah there are a few trees around cambridge that i know of and it's a wonderful fruit it's one of the fruits where you need to blet it now bletting means that it needs to rot before it's ripe in essence that's layman's terms for it so what you're best off doing is picking them all putting them in a nice crate or something like that where you can still get the air around it and just leaving them to rot slightly by rot i don't mean grow loads of mold on them and everything like that but we're waiting for them to go really soft and squidgy then it's nice and easy to prepare them because all you're doing then is just squeezing them get some gloves on because they're sticky and then get your hands in there and squeeze you want to get all that pulp out from the inside because the skins are quite tough and then things like jams and jellies purees whack them in with your apple crumble things like that but meddlers to be fair i think best off on their own and used like meddler jelly really right so again you would make it into a juice because they're quite pulpy aren't they they're not like so you just add water and sugar to them yeah i would yeah. do it like mm-hmm. that to be yeah. honest rather than trying to squeeze out juice out of the meddlers which you're not going to get mm-hmm. no i'd be adding a nice stock syrup mm-hmm. to them so yeah. water and sugar mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. making it that way if you wanted to squeeze them out and do it then dehydrating the pulp afterwards is nice and then you can use that to add into biscuit bases and things like that because you could crumb it up that's a good idea i hadn't thought of that one yeah and add it into biscuits and cakes and things like that. use it like a flour alternative you'd still need the flour but mm. you could just take a small amount away and add that in for flavor and that'd be great as well oh i'm looking forward to having a go at doing some interesting things and i very much look forward to the idea of coming on one of your mushroom foraging tours steve soon so i'll be looking out on social media for the dates Perfect. Yeah, it'd be great to have you, Sue. And yeah, keep an eye on social media and we'll shovel the dates up there. Thank you very much, Steve. Hogweed seeds to replicate Christmas spices, wood avens roots, juice pears, trooping funnel mushrooms and plenty of Christmassy scents and flavours to be found out and about. Excellent info once again from Steve Thompson, the foraging chef. Now, details of free food available in and around Cambridge. The information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app, which exists so that people's or businesses' surplus food doesn't go to waste. Yeah, and looking at today's Olio for Cambridge shows us that designated Olio food hero Harmony, who lives on John Street, that's near the Free Press pub, has stacks of breads from Tesco to give away, including roughly 16 loose pastries of croissants and danishes, as well as tiger baguettes and a Hovis wholemeal loaf. And some interesting items which have just gone. Jane, who lives near Coleridge Road, had a dozen pork and chorizo picks in blankets, Warburton's hot dog rolls, a spelt sunflower and honey bloomer, a jalapeno chili and cheese bloomer, 
a rice-sprouted grain bloomer, gluten-free crumpets, pineapples, parsnips, potatoes, egg noodles, cucumbers, sliced cavillo nero, and everything else but the kitchen sink. Speaking of kitchen sinks, you can also get non-food items from Olio as well. So, for example, Betty, who lives near the junction where Cherry Hinton Road meets Hills Road, has a gas cooker with oven to give away, which looks to be in a far better state than my oven. And of course, it's free. So, plenty more good stuff from the Olio app. And another free app called Too Good To Go has unsold food items from restaurants and shops, often at less than half price. Rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag, ready for you to take home instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading. So, on to our first news briefing now. And the Mill Road Winter Fair returns on the 3rd of December. Finn Boys will be selling hot lobster rolls as well as hosting an oyster festival, showing how to shuck oysters the professional way. There'll be lots of grab-and-go food, local beers and lots of wine too. They'll be open from 11 till 3. Today, Saturday, until 4.30pm, there is the final afternoon of the Ely Cathedral Christmas Gift and Food Fair. It's got more than 100 craft and food stalls in the Christmas village outside the cathedral, where entry is free. Tomorrow, Sunday, there's a huge market at Waterbeach Barracks in Denny End Lane. There were 38 stalls confirmed a week ago, and doubtless more have been added since. Food makes a strong appearance. Raised in Rampton will be there, and there will also be stalls with pulled pork rolls, crepes, cakes, including vegan cakes, fish, wine, cheese and drinks, ranging from milkshakes to spiced coffee. In addition, there will be craft stalls, jewellery and clothes. Parking is free and it takes place from 10 till 3. And just to let you know, there'll be an even bigger market on the 20th of December. On the 26th and 27th of November at Histon Smokehouse, there'll be a market featuring a wide range of products, including raised in Rampton's Christmas Stollen, chocolate gifts and sourdough bread and plenty of other things too. Opening times are 9.30 till 3pm on both days and Raised in Rampton will also be at Cottenham Community Market on the 4th of December. The Blue Moon in Norfolk Street has its Christmas market on 10th of December with vintage clothing, jewellery, pottery, records, art and so on and also mulled wine and plenty of winter beers. It runs from noon till 5pm. And a reminder from Mill Road Butchers that poultry is likely to be in short supply this year, so it's probably good advice to order soon. Now Mark Poynton is catering for private and at-home events. Contact him to discuss menu ideas via MJP at the Shepherd's website. The final Rubbish Cooks of the Year takes place at Parker's Tavern on the 28th of November at 6pm. The cost is £30 per person and bookings are open now. Cotto, X East Road and the Gonville Hotel has reopened at the Cambridge Country Club with Chef Hans Schweitzer. Casual dining is available as well as private events. The club is open to non-members and reservations are not needed at the moment, but you can nevertheless book via email info at cottocambridge.co.uk or phone Cambridge 953 469. Breakfasts are available too, served from 8am. Cambridge Country Club is in Toft Road, Bourne. And Flourish Farm in Hildesham, they were on flavour a couple of episodes ago, are holding their first winter market on Sunday the 4th of December. There's going to be plenty of local producers, food and drink stalls, with festive flourish of wreaths and Christmas baskets. There'll also be a DJ as well. This will be at Cook's Pen Farm in Hildesham and it's free entry. You can find more info via their Twitter account at Flourish Produce. That's all one word. 
We'll have more news later in the programme, but for now we're going to take a two-minute break and see you on the other side for Restaurant and Champagne features and more. Cambridge 105 Radio. Whether it's Cambridge United, City or Histon Town, From the Terraces brings you reaction as we follow all our local teams. In the main, to savour those moments and to create memories for supporters and, and players is a major thing for us. And delighted that we're connecting with the fans in the way that we are. Delighted that we were able to celebrate in that way because they're the sort of moments that stay with you forever. From the Terraces with Tim Armitage, Sunday at 1 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Listen live on Radio Player. KLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Lawrence, Director of CKLG, responsible for business services. We understand that running a successful business brings many challenges. Our experienced business services team provide a bespoke service and offer professional advice at every stage of your business journey, allowing you the freedom to focus more on what you do best. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists. Or visit our website, cklg.co.uk. CKLG Accountants, your partner in business, your partner in life. Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome back to Flavour, food and drink for Cambridge and South Cambridgeshire. Now, one dark and stormy night, I took a trip far down Hills Road. Well, not that far, really. It only feels far if you're on foot. But it's worth it, because there is a nice little Victorian hotel and restaurant. The hotel is the Crystal Hotel, and its restaurant is called Saver. And Saver is a 1930s Shanghai-style bar and restaurant. I sat down with the owner, Jay, who told me his story. This is probably the most comfortable interview I've ever done. Really? <laughs> We're sitting here in these nice, high-backed, incredibly comfy chairs. You're sitting in a classic Edwardian lunch room and a bar with the pictures of old Shanghai ports from 1930s. And you have a carpeted floor as well. That's so, so nice hourly. There's so many places you can go to where you almost have to shout to be heard whilst you're having your dinner. You leave at the end of the night and you've got a slightly sore throat because you've been overexerting yourself. I don't think that would happen here. I would take that as a, a good compliment. <laughs> Jay came fresh into the food scene from a totally different profession. I don't know. I mean, previously I was doing biomedical research. Oh, yeah. I was a little guy working in a lab. I don't need to talk to anyone or barely anyone. Yeah. Uh, what I need to do is to f- finish my scientific research. Um, but what made you take the step into something like this? Long story short, we got a family. We moved to Cambridge from Oxford. Mm. So I'm passionate about food. I used to selling one day in Mill Row Winter Fair 2018. I was selling Xiaomian, which is a spicy noodle in Chengdu yeah. or Chongqing. So my wife said, you're so passionate about food. Why not just go to running a restaurant by yourself? So I said, yeah, that that's just reminds me. Why not just try something new? So was joining this hotel in 2020, which is really hard. Yeah, you couldn't have picked a trickier time. <laughs> uh, uh, this is the trickiest time of <laughs> ever. But believe it or not, we managed to get through this kind of a most difficult time for a century mm. every time just tell myself like you know even i didn't make fortune doesn't really matter but uh, i survived <laughs> a global pandemic is a tough time to start a new business 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we start the jobs, it's December 2019. Mm. At that time, yes, COVID happened in China, a mm. few cases in Wuhan, but nothing in Europe or even、uh, North America. So I was convinced. Well, pretty much like SARS stopped within few months' time. Yeah, we all thought that, didn't we? Exactly. But, yeah. So I didn't expect it would be lasting for three years long. And having a restaurant in Cambridge, there is very strong Chinese community in here. I think there's no much of the risk、mm. of running this business. But unfortunately,、uh, the truth teach me a lesson. But I think life is, you know, short. I just get my best to try it. Yeah, we are yeah. here on Hills Road. Yeah, just opposite Homerton College.、Mm. Yeah, I noticed that outside you also had for the last year or two outdoorsy seating. Yeah. yeah, so we would like to bring some street food ideas to make this、uh, small food hutch have outdoor seating spaces, especially、mm. for the、uh, summer period. They did have outdoor seating quite regularly over the last year or two. A local businessman had a converted London taxi that served coffee from the parking in front of Jay's hotel. He's since gone on to open a coffee shop in Bedford, but it was his idea to ask Jay for one of those full parking spaces to set up. And over COVID, perhaps less people were inclined to go indoors for coffee, so he served outside. Believe or not, he actually helping a lot of NHS people to keep driving ambulance safely. <laughs> What I saw is is quite often ambulance three four times parking in front of the hotel. I was like panicking, oh what's happened? Is anyone get injured or ill in the hotel? It turns out it's just the guy who's in the ambulance just want to have a cup of coffee break before next run. <laughs> And he's giving those coffee for free for NHS people. So I said, "You are a really brilliant guy. Let's、yeah. just keep doing things like this." <laughs>、yeah. I feel like the main drive of our program is to let listeners know、hmm. there are streets that it's worth going down to find these excellent places. I say that because we're quite a way down Hills Road.、Hmm. The other thing is, we've covered places like Tradizioni on Cherry Hinton、yep. Road. Yep. Now they've got a pizzeria on Mill Road, and then、mm. they opened up a restaurant within a hotel. Yep. On Cherry Hinton Road. Yeah. It's not immediately obvious that it's there to passers-by. They could go straight past it. I wonder if it feels a little bit like that here as well, and that's what we want to talk about: is that there is something good here, and、mm. there's something worth coming to, and. We're letting you know, <laughs> because not only is it a really nice, relaxing place to chill out from the town, but you have all this authentic Shanghai food as well.、Yeah. From the moment I tasted it, and I'm sure ninety nine percent of people will be the same when they taste real Shalongbao.、Mm. It is so beautiful, and with that perfect mixture of sweetness and a little bit of saltiness and、mm. the um the umami flavor. And it's you obviously do do shallow. We、right? do shallow mowing here. <laughs> We can't leave it behind. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's the texture is so gorgeous. I don't. I, the closest thing I could possibly describe it to is、mm. almost like biting into candy floss or marshmallow.、Mm. But imagine having meat inside that. So we're talking either normally a, it's a pork. Yeah, a beautiful sweet pork. Yeah, I mean they are one of the signature dishes in in Shanghai, 
and they consume as a breakfast dishes,、mm-hmm. lunch dishes, quick snacks. Sometimes people consume as a dinner,、mm. but even middle of the nights when they had a really long day of work, they go to roadside canteen,、mm. and they offer those kind of things within five ten minutes. I think it also gonna be fit for the climate in UK as well, because in the winter, imagine you have a very warm, steamy, six small shallow bow. It's not too heavy, no, but no. also warms you up to bring you this kind of a, like a sensation of fresh sweet pork with a little bit of juicy filling as well.、Mm. You know. I would not have a problem at all with being served shaolong bao along with a glass of hot mulled wine you know, in a pub、mm. when it's wintry and snowy outside.、Mm. I think those things would go together brilliantly. Yeah, that could be that could that could be、uh, our next <laughs> missions. Because <laughs> we, the one things I struggle、mm. is what dishes can accompany with the Western drinking beverages. Yeah, because、yeah. traditionally Chinese would like to drink baijiu. Which is、uh, spirit, so yeah, moat wine could be the answer. <laughs> Actually, we do dishes from original from Shanghai,、mm. things like Shanghai wonton. The Shanghai wines typically with a lot of veg mixed with the pork mince, big size like a golf ball <laughs> size. Yeah, it's quite typical in China in olden days. People consume it as a street food. A merchant will be using a pole, holding one end with a stove,、mm. and another end with his ingredients on the side, and he carrying his whole shop on his shoulder, <laughs> walking alleyways and shouting, "Wonton!" And normally it's very cheap people's food. We have two version of it. We twist it with a second version with a little bit of kick of the chili oil and. More flavor,、mm. but we still keep the old, famous, original one in the soup. So in a windy day or rainy day, having a bowl of warm wonton soup will make your whole stomach feel like warm and peaceful. And also, it's very light.、Mm. Uh, people even consume it as a breakfast dishes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about that. The typical、mm. conception of Shanghai food, you know, if you were to pick out keywords, people might say oil,、mm. soy sauce,、mm. sugar, yeah, caramelization,、mm. that real sweetness, the deep, rich colors of red or、mm-hmm. a dark brown,、mm-hmm. and sweet and sticky. But there are other flavors as well.、There、exactly for the classic savory and caramelized taste. We do slow cooked pot belly,、mm-hmm. braised bellies. In this way, we cook it with extra caramelized sugars and onions. They give you a little bit of taste of a sweet after you chewing it and swallow it, because of the sweet will be staying your taste buds.、Mm. So we do have a couple of small dishes like that. Yeah. And when you say slow cooked, we're、mm. talking several hours. Several hours. What you're trying to achieve is that perfect tenderness, yeah, where it's almost like cutting through butter. Yeah, so that's what we are we are looking for. Our chef is originally from Hong Kong. He was working in China, Hong Kong, and Japan for many years. It's a very classic chef.、Mm. He want to prepare his dishes 
as fresh as possible. Yeah. So it's not like three months ago in Bedford in a factory,、um, your dishes are already done. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the other cornerstones of that I read. Yes,、yeah. secondhand about、yeah. Shanghai cuisine、mm. is that not only do you have the sweet and the sour, and but also the freshness of the veg,、yeah. like you were talking about.、Mm. It was just a couple of episodes. I was talking to somebody, an Italian person、mm. or Sicilian. They were talking about their products, the cannoli. The perfect cannoli is one that is put together within the last twenty, thirty minutes.、Mm. Then you achieve that pure freshness, that vibrancy. That zing, the everything that you could possibly want in a cannoli, and、yep. here you describe something very similar、yep. when it comes to the veg. It's very, very important for us to keep most of the ingredients as fresh as possible. So we even go to local farm market to source our ingredients, which is、uh, great. You know, no matter Italian, Chinese, or Japanese, or French cuisine, which is well famous,、mm. they all. Came to looking for the fresh produce.、Oh. Uh, I remember when I was a young little lad, you get your dishes on your tables, probably ten miles from your house.、Mm. So that's how I think. When I remember when I how the food tastes nowadays, we trying to do as much as we can to bring those memory back because I genuinely believe taste is part of your memory. Quite often I go to. Simon of the farm market in the city center. Yeah, I quite often go to his store to buy even just a few vegetable like carrots or celeries. You can tell straight away. Even my five years old daughter can tell.、Mm. Oh, that's tasty because they are fresh.、Yeah. They, they just pulled out two days ago from the earth and without any gross hormones or. As a scientist before,、mm. I know genomic modification is unstoppable. But some of those kind of modification actually they sacrifice the taste or texture、mm. to reach the requirements of storage length in the fridge. But this is how people nowadays being looking for. You yes, want to go、yeah. to supermarket buy all whole weeks of your food rather than. When I was a kid, you have to go to market every day.、Mm. Now Jay's other recommendation from his menu may sound a little bit staid at first, but he's very proud of this one: the spare rib with a salt and pepper.、Mm-hmm. You will find the gazillion those takeaway shop also offering a similar thing. The difference is we marinate the ribs at least twelve hours before it's getting fried.、Mm. So it company really well with the red wine. This is something I already tried. <laughs> <laughs> well, give you this kind of meaty and strong, a little bit of zingy taste from the pepper,、mm. but also give you a strong taste of melat reaction. So your bread is typical melat reaction according to Expedia. The Maillard reaction, a chemical reaction between amino acids and reducing sugars, that gives brown food its distinctive flavor. The crusts of most breads, such as this brioche, are golden brown, mostly as a result of the Maillard reaction. So that that so, kind of explains. That's that's what I believe. Our chef using a special way to marinate the spare rib, 
and enhanced the reaction, millet reaction, yeah. giving very crispy and caramelized taste of this spare rib, as long as a little bit saltiness and peppery taste.、Mm. So you're going the extra mile, really, to get that. Yeah. To achieve that. To achieve that particular outcomes. Yeah. 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 And I was、uh, curious why it tastes different. Yeah. And the chef says,、uh, "You just need to marinate there for a little bit longer." He he keeps the recipe, but、uh, I know <laughs> what he's putting in. <laughs> well, Jay, it's been great、uh, chatting to you. Oh, very nice to chat with you, Matt. <laughs> And we are here at Savor Restaurant on Hills Road. This is your 1930s Shanghai-style bar and restaurant. Very nice it is too. And you're listening to Flavor on Cambridge 105 Radio. And many thanks to Jay. And you can check out their dishes online because they've got an Instagram and a Twitter account. And the address on both apps is Crystal Savor. That's all one word. Time for a bit more news now. The final two of a series of pop-ups to help people cope with the cost of living are coming up soon. Organised by Cambridge Sustainable Food, they're on the 24th of November at Cambridge Central Mosque from 4 to 7 p.m. and at St James's Church in Wolston Way on the 29th of November from 2 to 5 p.m. Other news from Cambridge Sustainable Food: They're starting up a new community kitchen at the old Cornerstone Cafe in Mill Road, and it's in association with St Philip's Church. They'll be developing a surplus catering enterprise to raise funds for their work on food equality, and working with the church to facilitate a warm and welcoming space for winter. And if you're in need of a hot meal, contact Cambridge Community Kitchen at cckitchen.uk and click on Requested Meals. Pivoting to wine news now, at Amphora in Devonshire Road, there is a tasting of Australian wines. Now, Australia has some of the oldest vines in the world because they were able to control the spread of the phylloxera bug. Old vines produce a smaller crop of grapes with a more intense flavour, so the wines benefit. And amongst the wines to taste are an old vine Shiraz from Barossa, a Hunter Valley Semillon, and a Mornington Peninsula Chardonnay. Now that's on the twenty-third of November at eight p.m. and the cost is thirty pounds. On the thirtieth of November, there is a tasting of vintage champagnes along with other premium sparkling wines that costs sixty-five pounds. And on the seventh of December, there is France versus the world. It's a blind tasting costing thirty-five pounds, and all of those begin at eight p.m. At the wine rooms in Hills Road on twenty-fourth November, there's a tasting of eight Spanish wines. That's from seven to eight p.m. and costs thirty pounds. On first December, there's a Christmas tasting, which is also thirty pounds. There'll be six wines for you to try to help you choose what to drink at Christmas. There'll be discounts on the night for your Christmas drinking and giving. At Cambridge Wine Merchants on the twenty-fourth of November, there is a blind champagne tasting at the King's Road branch with champagnes from Cristal, Cru, Dom Perignon, Philipponet Clos de Guas, and Nye Timber. The cost is ninety pounds, and to book, you email kings at cambridgewine dot com, and don't forget to include your name, address, and contact number. Cambridge Wine Merchants is also holding a Christmas wine fair on the first December. There'll be more than a hundred wines to try in a walk-around style tasting. Food fans will be on site too if you get peckish. It begins at 5 p.m. and it's at the Cass Centre in Shaftesbury Road, which is at the Hills Road end of Brooklands Avenue. The cost is £25, and you can book by emailing one of the Cambridge Wine Merchant branches with your name, address, and contact number. Now there's a sold-out event at Gutter and Stars in French's Road on the 14th of December, but 
You may be lucky. You may get a cancellation. It's a tasting of their 2021 vintages and it costs £30. And Grain Culture in Ely has a night of sparkling wines on the 1st of December, which you can book via their website. And that's all the news for today. Okay. Now, Christmas sees a rise in champagne sales, but do you know how many alternatives to champagne are available? In this next feature, taken from the Flavor Archives of about six years ago, here are just a few that are well worth checking out, courtesy of wine specialist Alice Archer. So, mid-November, there are plenty of celebrations coming up, be it Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year... I'm a big advocate of champagne. I think champagne is a wondrous drink, but not all of us can afford it, certainly not for the number of celebrations coming up. But there are plenty of other places for sparkling wines. Prosecco, we all know now, and it's very good in its own way. Prosecco, to savour, to celebrate, to life. Chin chin. But it has almost developed itself into the market of the everyday celebratory wine. You had a nice day at work, therefore have a Prosecco at your nearest wine bar. So it's not necessarily got that step up for Mm. Christmas or New Year. So I'm going to hopefully explain a few different places that you can look. France. It's most famous for Champagne, the the region just about 150 kilometers away from Paris, right up in the northeast. Very cool climate region. However, they do make sparkling wine across the rest of the country. Most of the major wine producing areas, Alsace, Burgundy, sometimes Bordeaux, and especially the Loire, and also a place called Le Mou, which is just next to the Roussillon, all make wondrous sparkling wines in what's known as the traditional method, secondary fermentation in the bottle, which is exactly the same way as they make wine in Champagne. The Appalachian laws, the laws dictated by the EU, are slightly different. The ageing periods are shorter, not necessarily going to be as rich and evolved as some champagnes, and also we're looking at warmer climates and different grape varieties. I highly recommend, first of all, starting with Lemoux. Uh, Lemoux is right down next to the Pyrenees. As I say, it's just beyond the Roussillon. It's practically in Spain. In fact, I think it has been Spanish over quite a lot of its uh, past, uh, with Philip of Aragon and all that, having areas beyond the Pyrenees, beyond Catalonia, uh, that he governed over. So looking at Lemoux, there is a wine called Blanquette de Lemoux. Spelled B-L-A-N-Q-U-E-T-T-E. If you ever come across this, I highly recommend it. It's delicious and it tastes like apples. It is like a lovely, winey, vinous, sparkling apple aperitif kind of thing. It's wonderfully fresh, zippy, lots of acidity, because it's made from a very rare grape variety called Malzac, which they pretty much only grow there. Incidentally, Blanquette de Lemoux, the Lemoux claims to have invented the champagne method. This is because the Benedictine monks, of which Dom Perignon was a member, originated in Lemoux. So, having said that Blanquette de Lemoux is lovely, they also make a wine called Cremant de Lemoux. Cremant is essentially the French word for a sparkling wine that's not from Champagne. They make Cremant in Lemoux, Alsace, Burgundy, Bordeaux, the Loire. Uh, so Cremant de Lemoux, highly recommended. It's mostly Chardonnay, also with some Chenin Blanc, blended through a little bit of Malzac. And as I say, it's made the same way as Champagne, but with nine months instead of 15 months aging. So it's got similar kind of characters, but not quite as amped up. The next place to look is definitely the Loire. I think Loire makes wonderful sparkling wines, particularly using the Chenin Blanc grape variety. 
it's, it's got so many different faces, Chenin Blanc, you can do anything with it, but most of all it's got wonderfully high acidity, which means it can stand through slightly more sugar that you sometimes get in sparkling wines. We actually at Cambridge Wine Merchant stock a vintage Cremant de Lamou from 2008. So we're talking about an eight-year-old wine made in the same way as champagne, and we sell it for 14.99, which is outstandingly good value if you're a fan of vintage development, lots of kind of baked fruit, some yeasty, bready kind of characteristics that you get from autolytic flavours. Sounds yeah. fantastic. It's delicious. Yeah. I highly recommend it. I shall probably have some of that. Certainly a backup for Christmas. <laughs> and then you can look elsewhere for sparkling wines as well. The French had a few issues with their sparkling wine market, partly through the term Mousseau. Of course, these wines are coming from premium still wine regions anyway. Whereas in Champagne, it's very difficult to make a, a good still wine. In fact, I'm not entirely sure they, they can make good still wine. That's why they make sparkling wine, because their grapes just aren't quite ripe enough. But with the additions, that, with the winemaking practices that you have through sparkling wine, you can get a wonderfully delicious quaffable wine. Whereas the still wine regions of France, they're already using their best grapes to make still wine. So sometimes the sparkling wine is sort of a byproduct. But if you know where to look, then it's very good. Pretty much everywhere in the world makes sparkling wine. There are two billion bottles of sparkling wine made per year. And actually, the Germans consume about a quarter of them. Good God. I know. Germany <laughs> loves sparkling wine. Uh, and they make a style called Sekt. So if you come across Deutsche Sekt, it's made from Riesling, but again, Riesling's got these characteristics of high acidity and good ageing potential. And so you can get some wonderfully fresh wines, but also look to the new world. The place currently on everyone's lips, Tasmania. I recall the weather that day. I went down to Tasmania and it is, yes, a hell of a long way south. And it's also quite cold. I think you mentioned it was a little bit like Scotland. It's very much like Scotland. I've got some wonderful pictures of flying into it. I mean, there are rumours that Tasmania, if you flatten it out, it'll be the same surface area as mainland Australia because it is that mountainous and hilly and quite arid, but also quite wet and cold. And currently, you know, it's summer in Australia. Yeah. So Tasmania is somewhere completely different and it's climatically one of the closest places in the world to Champagne and they are making stunning sparkling wines, exactly mimicking champagne. Please be there with me. They're growing the same grape rice, they're growing Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, and they're doing the full ageing process. Some of it really is punching above its price point. I particularly recommend looking for Jantz. Jantz is spelled J-A-N-S-Z. So it's not Jantz, it's not Jantzy, it's Jantz. That is a wonderful traditional method sparkling wine from Tasmania. And we've got their classic cuvee and their rosé, both of which are 15 99 They also do a vintage that's about £22. It's currently the 2010. So again, a six-year-old wine made exactly the same way as champagne, but for a fraction of the price. So those are pretty much the Limou, the Loire and Tasmania. Plenty of other places popping up and with emerging sparkling wine markets. The rest of Australia does make pretty good sparkling wine of all different variations, including sparkling Shiraz, of all things, if sparkling red is a thing for you. There are also some excellent wines from New Zealand, particularly Marlborough, making 
traditional method sparkling wines and often putting the words method Marlborough on their labels. Interestingly, with some of these places, and it's the same with England as well, England, of course, has a thriving sparkling wine market at the moment, mm. and that's because our climate isn't quite warm enough to make still wines regularly, but we can make vintage wines almost every year. Part of the reason we do this is that we haven't got the back stocks. So Champagne, most of the product is non-vintage. This means they're blending a number of different years together to create a consistent product year in year. So we haven't got the back stocks to be able to keep wine back. So it is, it's a big investment to decide, actually, no, I'm not going to sell all my wine this year. I'm going to hold some of it back to blend it into another wine in five years' time. How many special people change? How many lives live So we haven't really got the structure to do that as yet, although Nightember has just started making a non-vintage wine. But also, in climates slightly warmer than Champagne, Vintage doesn't make quite such a difference. So you'll see, particularly in New Zealand, almost every wine has a vintage on it okay. because they're selling all their wine through that year. And the last place you can look is South Africa as well. There's some particularly lovely South African sparkling wine currently in MS actually, called the Rona, which is made by someone called Graham Beck. And they call their sparkling wines MCC, which is not the cricket club, it stands for Method Cap Classique their term for traditional method sparkling wine. So look around, shop around, and don't just stick to the same names that you know. There we go. Are you much of a champagne drinker, Sue? Oh, yes, I'm afraid I'm very partial to a glass of champagne. It's something like <laughs> a Paul Roger or or something, perhaps Prosecco. I do drink Prosecco, and recently I've been even trying Nosecco, which is the alcohol-free version of it. So, oh, I know. I, I still prefer the real stuff, though, I'm, I would admit, certainly <laughs> at Christmas. You can tell the difference, then? 100%. You can tell the difference. Yes, you can. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm more of a baby sham man myself. Okay, <laughs> okay. With a cherry or without? Oh, gosh, I didn't think of that. Well, a glacier cherry. Yeah. Glacier cherry? <laughs> of course you should. With a bit of top deck and maybe some panda cola as well. Uh, that's mm, my level, I Right. Think. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. There's the music signalling the time for news from social media. Let's start off with Deborah Bonis of Biscotti di Debra. She was tweeting her Christmas cake designs. The latest one is a chocolate mimosa cake, and all her cakes can be modified into a festive style. She's been on the programme before. Do check out her selections on Twitter at Biscotti underscore Debra. Angus Yabby has tweeted that their autumn menu is available to tempt your taste buds in the Redwoods restaurant. Seasonal treats include parsnip and ginger cake, sounds interesting, and mm. spiced apple cake. Cambridge Sustainable Food tweeted this morning to remind us that over 10,000 tonnes of food was thrown away by households in Cambridge just last year. In response, they have offered plenty of helpful tips on everything that you can do before you think of binning anything. So check that out online. It's at their website, cambridgesustainablefood.org. And a last Christmas run-up is in Saffronwald and they're having a Christmas fair in the square tomorrow, 20th of November, 10 till 4 o'clock. And they also have a free Father Christmas grotto, so take your little ones to the square. <laughs> <laughs> For 
familiar music of green onions signaling the start of our job section. And Providence Kitchen is looking for a head chef. It's a 45-hour week that involves only two evenings, so you can contact them via email on ask at provenancekitchen.com. La Latina Bustarante is hiring. Pop in to the Grafton Centre for a chat or send your CV to lalatinacambridge at gmail.com. Chefs de party are needed at Parker's Tavern, where the pay is 31k, with a £5,000 joining bonus. Uh, conditions do apply, though. It's a 42-and-a-half-hour week. There's free accommodation as well, if needed, and three positions are available. Stem and Glory has two chefs de party positions available, where the pay is up to £12.50 per hour. La Raza needs a second chef, ideally with experience of Spanish and Mediterranean cuisine. Full-time and part-time positions are available. Provenance Kitchen has a vacancy for a head chef. It's 45 hours a week from Wednesday to Sunday with two evenings and the pay is between 36 to 40k. St John's College is hiring for an executive chef with annual pay from 52 to 57k. It's just over 39 hours a week. The closing date for applications is 9am on the 5th of December with interviews taking place the week after. But the college does reserve the right to make an early appointment. Parker's Tavern is seeking a head chef, pay is up to 60k for a 42.5 hour week. Bills in Green Street is seeking a chef at £13 an hour. Sticks and Sushi also needs a chef, the pay for that is between £11 and £14 an hour. And Sticks and Sushi also are looking for a grill chef. Meanwhile, Aromi has two vacancies for pizza chefs, pay is £12.50 an hour and their need is urgent. And finally, the Clayton Hotel has vacancies for a full-time commie chef and a sous chef. St John's College has two urgent vacancies for sous chefs, where the pair is 29k. Lastly, Honest Burgers also need a sous chef, and Wagamama needs a senior sous chef, which the pay is 35k. All of which brings us to the end of today's programme. And you can catch Flavour on Alternate Saturdays at 12 noon. We're repeated on Mondays at 6 and Thursdays at 2pm. Flavour will also be available as a podcast early next week. Coming up on Cambridge 105 Radio today at 1pm is The Gadget Guide with Robin Lawrence and at 2pm it's Sue Marchant's selection. But that's all from us. We'll be back on the 3rd of December with lots more food and drink news, jobs and features. And so until then, goodbye. goodbye.